This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach, and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. So I'm so happy to have our next guest, John Maxwell. John has quite an eclectic background and a career that spans the globe, really, especially Europe and the U.S. He's been in a variety of roles. He's been in product management. He's been in marketing and sales and sales leadership, executive leadership, president, CEO, you name it, John has done it, mostly in the global industrial sector. And now he coaches and advises executive teams on leadership, team effectiveness, and a variety of things. I'm thrilled to have been able to get to know John over the last uh, several months, and I'd love to welcome John to the show. John, welcome. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Happy to share whatever I can share. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited because given your background, and for those listening, you can hear John based on his accent, John is is from Brooklyn, yeah. right, John? I have a mid-Atlantic <laughs> accent, somewhere between uh, Scotland and Connecticut. I don't know where. Right. It's somewhere in there, right? So so as you listen, you may pick up, you may pick up on where John is from. So John, I've, I'd love to pick your brain and ask you some questions about lessons that you've learned and, and some of the things that you've, that you've done to achieve success because you've had a lot of success over your career. So let me just dive in and like from the top, what is the most important lesson you've learned so far about leading teams? So first of all, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of focus around leading sales teams and commercial teams because I think they're, you know, I've, that's been some of the happiest times and some of the most challenging times with, uh, with some of those teams. So when I, was, when I was thinking about coming on, I thought, let me, let me go back and, and just spend a little time reflecting on on that time. You know, I think the the great thing about commercial sales teams is success can be really easy to define in the numbers. So you've got quite often some some real clear deliverables, which makes it uh, which makes it really yeah, really easy to know whether you made it or you didn't make it. But I think the, the real trick is what are the other things that you need to be thinking about measuring is with regard to success. So not just did you make the number, but what did you learn along the way is a key one. And then I think the, the other piece that, and we'll come back to it, I'm sure with some of your other questions, but was around collaboration. How do you get sales teams to, to collaborate? How do you get the teams to, to talk to each other so the sum of the parts is bigger than the individual contribution? And I think that's one of the, the key pieces for me. Yeah. So yeah, we will come back to that because I want to hear more about that specifically and the how. But how do you know, think about all of your experiences over the years, how do you know if a team is working cohesively? You, you were talking about that in the context of measuring. Like, what, what evidence would you look for that tells you when a team is, is 
collaborating effectively is cohesive and how they work and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's tools to measure that, but I think just as a leader, are people participating? Are people speaking up at meetings? Are people supporting each other? Is there, you know, sales, usually there's not a shortage of conversation in the meetings, typically. I mean, I know I'm stereotyping, but uh, I, so I think it's, you know, it's that connection and collaboration. Do you, do you see that? Is that happening? And also, how do you know? How do you, uh, how do teams welcome new people? I think that's a massive uh, point too. So you know, there's there's always churn in teams. How does the team respond when uh, when you've got a new member? I think that's a big you know a big indicator of how well the team operates. So that's something that I would uh, you know that I would look for. Yeah. That's a great example. I've never heard anybody talk about how does a team go about or how well do they welcome new people as a way of sort of measuring engagement. It's an interesting one. So that's one example. Are there any other examples? Because I think people listening to this might be, look, anybody who's listening who's led sales teams for a while will know what it, what it looks like when members of the team are supporting one another, helping each other out, right, sharing information. But there may be people who are listening who haven't experienced that or who are new or aspiring to sales leadership roles. So I think that welcoming new people, great example. Are there any other examples you could call out that you would be looking for that, hey, you know, my people are supporting one another? What, what else What else would you be looking for there? Well, I don't know about the supportive piece. Um, I think the other, you know, the, the other slightly different answer to your question would be, what are you, you know, what are you looking at? What are you measuring? I think get in the mindset of measuring input versus output and sales teams can be a really key aspect. So that can be the amount of outreach, that can be the number of calls, that can be a number of visits, that can be lots of different, lots of different things there uh, that you can measure. And I think it's easy to get fixated on the output. And as a sales leader, I think your challenge as a sales leader is to keep people focused and grounded in the in the inputs. So in the things that you can control, right? Yeah. So how do you how do you uh-huh. identify those? How do you measure those? How do you make them? more important and and how do you make clear that you know there's always a there's always a time lag between input and output right but if you want good output as far as you know sales coming in the door you actually you have to do the input you, you have to do that so that's the piece uh, i think that's a piece that can be forgotten about that that uh, certainly early on in my sales manager career th- that was an aspect that that really stuck with me as opposed to just looking in the rearview mirror what are our sales last month? Who's ahead? Who's behind? It was, what do we need to be measuring in that uh, gives us a little bit of insight into what's coming in next month and what's coming in the month after that at a sales, you know, at a sales, at a salesperson level. So, yeah. yeah. One of the things I've observed, it's an area that great sales leaders separate themselves from average ones is in this area of, and it kind of relates to the inputs end of things, right? It's setting clear expectations about how the work is to be done. What are the inputs, the activities, and how do we execute them in a way that looks like our best people do it? And are we going to get into that level of detail with people so they understand there's not necessarily any magic to the inputs, but there is a certain way we expect them to be executed or achieved, right? So it's, it's uh, you've just it's a really neat way of putting it. It's about the inputs because that's that resonates with me. I hear that all the time from not only the great leaders, but people who are struggling to get their teams to to do the right things at the right 
amount of right of frequency, it's because they haven't focused sufficiently on the inputs and how to get them done. Yeah. And that's, you know, you talked about how can you unlock some of that collaboration within the team? I think there's also a link there, which is, you know, the team, the people that, uh, that have been on that team for any length of time, they know what the important inputs are. They know what are the things that they can do that have a higher likelihood of turning into sales or turning into a qualified lead. So how do you get them to share that information? You know, that in some, you know, some people are going to think, Hey, that's my secret sauce. You know, I don't want to share what makes it work for me. Cause, uh, you know, then everyone will know and it'll be much less important. But I think if you can, uh, you know, sales leadership is around, if you can get the team to collaborate, to trust each other. And again, see that, you know, this, this, some of the parts is, is, you know, the collaboration is going to be more than the sum of the parts. They'll share those, you know, they'll share those key things. And they can be really simple things. You know, they can be, you know, always contact these people on Fridays, not Mondays. Always, you know, there's, there's, there's all these little things that make a difference that when you just put them by themselves, you think, well, why is that important? But in context, they can be, uh, yeah, they make a difference. So finding those and discussing them. And not knowing those things for somebody who's maybe new coming into the business is a huge barrier, right? To them being able to. Yeah meet expectations. So for those listening, I think the one key point in there, Sean just said a, a few important things, but one is it doesn't necessarily happen organically. The leader has to do something to create an environment and ask people to share, you know, so how are you achieving X, right? How are you going about this process or that in such an effective way, right? Because if people, people tend not to give up what they're not asked for, and they'll just continue going about their job unless you create an environment where that's encouraged. So that's, that's again, I think something I've seen great leaders do. It's a great point. John, another question, and we'll keep the focus on, on salespeople and people in commercial roles. So what, what do you love most about leading salespeople, leading sales organizations? I mean, I like the energy. They're typically high energy teams. So I, I like that, what that brings. I like the, you know, I like the clarity of results. So it's, it's, clear that you're winning or not as the case may be and you can <laughs> we don't like that as much we don't like that as <laughs> we much don't like, we don't like that it happens but we don't like it and maybe the the piece around this is partly why i went into the coaching world but the piece around where you see people who don't think they'll be good in sales you know i've known lots of people who think you know i'm sales i'm, I'm not yeah, yeah it's not for me it's that's not who i am that i don't work that way but then for one reason or another, they end up, you know, they end up in a sales team and they're fantastic. So I guess I really enjoyed seeing people who maybe think or maybe thought sales wasn't, wasn't the place for them or commercial wasn't the place for them. And then quite quickly, as the picture fills in what, you know, what the commercial role is, it's not just calling or emailing all the time and asking for orders. Yes. You know, there's, there's an awful lot more to it than that. And then those people start to thrive. So, so seeing people seeing people be successful that maybe didn't think they were going to be successful um, originally is you know that's something that that I appreciated. Yeah, no, I I can certainly relate to that. You said you like you like one of the things you like is the high energy. Why? What is it about? I, mean, I think that's more just a that's a personal thing. I mean, that's just kind of who I am. I like that. I like a bit of the banter. You know, I like a bit of the humor. I like the the fact that there is a bit of competition in there, 
you know, you can you can tease each other about what's happening, what's going on. That, I think that's inevitable, and I don't know. Maybe that's a generational thing too. Maybe I'm just old, and and that's you know that was what that's what I liked at the time. Maybe that's not relevant today. I'm not totally sure. But for me, I enjoyed that. It was uh, it gave me energy. But you know, yeah, that's again, that's a personal thing. That was that was what worked for me. Yeah. I don't know that that's changed, John. I think that that's, you know, for I'll let, I'll let our audience decide here, but, uh, you know, having, and I remain engaged, highly engaged with sales teams and many of them quite a bit younger than me, but, uh, no, I think people still feed off that competitive energy and, and, uh, they're fun. You find that more in sales organizations that are succeeding than you do in organizations that are not. But I think there's always that that sort of high level of energy. So I, I think it's great. and it's a game, right? I mean, there's something about it that's it's a it's a little bit of a game. It's a little bit of how are we going to win? How are we going to get this done? So I think that uh, you know, and it's it's a game where the rules aren't always clear, uh-huh. and the the players in the game don't always tell the truth, or don't always tell everything, or don't always you know disclose everything that's going on that's all part of the game so i think i you know i always find that you know i always find that interesting yeah as to how you how do you figure that out you know i always laughed when sales guy would come back and you know they're like oh the you know the the person person told me this and this is you know this is absolute i'm like okay great (laughs) do you believe that right right of course i believe it Mm, okay not so sure well you also mentioned that it's uh this is the closest thing some of us have reached that age where we don't have as many competitive, physically competitive pursuits as we might have. But I think this is about as close to competitive sports as it gets or competitive anything, competitive uh, piano playing or the arts or athletics, that if you don't have an outlet like that, I think this is what we do in, in selling, especially when we're in a competitive environment, is very similar, right? There's preparation, there's there's nerves, there's butterflies, there's winning, there's losing, there's you know working as a team. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. So, you know, we were talking, sort of joking about what it's like to be in an environment, not that either of us would know, of course, John, but an environment where people aren't succeeding. But there, you know, there is a challenging side to the role, to leading the sales function. So what have you found to be the most challenging part of leading salespeople and, and what have you done about it? Well, that's a good question. Well, I think there's two aspects to to leading salespeople that, that I find tricky. One, and I'll start with the the one that's maybe the the less obvious one. So and that is the, you know, the the star of the show, basically. You know, you've got someone who always has great results, but they behave badly, they don't collaborate, but that, you know, that kind of behavior is being tolerated just because they've always delivered. And I, I think dealing with those situations can be quite tricky. Because sometimes, yeah, the, the person is great at their job, but, you know, sometimes they're also in the right place. You know, they happen to be located in a market that's booming. They happen to be, you know, just in the right place at the right time. So, you know, how, how do you have those conversations and uh, get those people to feel like, you know, just to take a step back, to, to, to recognize there's the value in the rest of the team. It's not just about them. You know, I think those are... Those can be tricky 
situations where you're dealing with ego and uh, all the rest of that good stuff. And you don't want to give up the results, right? This person's putting up numbers and you're like, heaven forbid they, they leave, We right? That's, I think that's part of the, you can tell I've lived through that, by the way, because I have had that situation. Right? <laughs> that is part of the dilemma, right? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you do that? And I think it's, you know, it is a little bit of a game of chicken to some extent. And as, as the leader, I think you have to be willing to sit down and have some of those tougher conversations that says, look, this is, this is some, some things are non-negotiable. And here's what a few of those things are. Let's let's talk about them. Let's talk about what that means for you in your specific situation. Yes, and have those behavioral conversations that maybe they're not used to because all they've ever had is results conversations, which is great job on the result. Don't really care how you got there. Fantastic. And, you know, there's a pile of damage left behind them, either in the organization or out of the organization. So, um, so I think being being able to have those behavioral conversations and that is not something that sales managers, I think, are, you know, are, are necessarily comfortable with, necessarily equipped for sometimes, because it is a high risk. It's, uh, you know, if you're talking to a super high performer, then this is, uh, this is a high risk situation and you don't want to muck it up. Right. It sort of connects with something we were talking about earlier when we were talking about in, inputs, expectations, and how you do the job, that if you don't go to the lengths of defining what good behavior looks like in this environment, which includes how you treat people, which includes following policy, it, which includes not crossing the line and you know intentionally breaking rules, right? If you don't do that early, it just it makes these kinds of conversations that much more that much more difficult, doesn't it? I think that yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think the you know the other thing is situations never remain the same. So at some point, it's going to change. That star performer is is their big account's going to move from one place to another. Someone's going to change in the organization, and I think it's it's you know opening their eyes to to that can happen and the fact that there's a need to be part of the team there's a need to not just be part of the team but but also understand that there's there's more parts to being successful than just the the sales right in front of the client there's the customer service stuff there's the product stuff there's the operations stuff there's all the the other things that that impact whether that client is going to be happy with what they get at the end of the day. And the sales, the sales person's really just kind of tip of the spear, you know. And are they are they enabling or disabling the team to deliver the results and success, right? Yeah. Funny how being a tough person to work with, but delivering results that does tend to sort of, I would say in my experience, at least there's a correlation between those people. If they don't, not willing to follow process, not willing to work effectively with teammates, that usually does have impact on customers at some point. Right. It's in some way, at some point, it's going to bite them in the backside. Yeah. And I mean, some of the other archetypes that I've, you know, managed and been on teams are, are the ones that are maybe more creative. So they're on the other side. They're really innovative. They're re really creative. They always want to sell the stuff that we, you know, that we don't make already or we're going to be making in three years. They have great relationships with all the people internally, but the numbers are just not, the numbers are just not where they need to be. So how do you take, all that energy that they're putting into innovation and all that curiosity and how do you get it back to, you know, actually some of those really boring inputs, you got to spend some time on that too, because that's how you get your output at the end of the day. Well, it's also that example. It's a great one because again, I've lived through that. I've seen that as well, right? Um, so you're talking about some kind of common archetypes or challenges on a team and um, it's hard to create boundaries and focus 
for people like the example that you're offering. It's like they're, they've got so much boundless energy and they really are thinking about the future, but you're like, yeah, but we do this, right? And, and, and if we try to do anything other than this right now, going back to the point you were making earlier, like we can't, we can't be successful for our clients. We can't deliver a result. So tough. Because in both cases, you're, you're sort of dousing in one, you're dousing someone's enthusiasm and their creativity and they won't like that. But the risk is you're going to piss off clients whether intentionally or not. The other is we've got great results. I'm worried that if I start tightening the proverbial screws on this person, he or she is going to move on. But again, the impact, the implications here are we may be putting our clients in a bad spot, right? Because we're not doing things the way we need. So, so as is the case in so many, in so many scenarios, like let's consider the impact on the customer and work backward and define, right? What do the inputs need to look like and what is expected of you in doing the work? So yeah. I think if you have, you know, if you can build a, a team where there are strong connections between the salespeople, so that connection is more, you know, that there's real relationships between them. They can be slightly competitive, but they, you know, they know that they kind of win together. And I think, you know, that's kind of the ultimate to some extent, because I think that also lowers your, you know, that lowers your chance that someone's going to walk basically, right? Because they, they don't want to leave the rest of the team. You know, they've got relationships. They've They've got those strong connections with the other people that they're they're operating with, and again, that's how you unlock, unlock the the overall potential. So, so as a sales leader, you know, how do you spend? How do you think about spending an, enough time or enough focus to make sure that you're that you're nurturing those connections within your team? It can be easy just to overlook it. It can be easy to say, "Oh, it's just a waste of time." They're they're individual contributors. They're gonna they're they're gonna get it done. But I think. To, to build those connections. They're not going to be the same between everyone, but if you can strengthen the connections in the team on a bilateral basis, so between individuals, I think that can unlock a bit of potential. Yeah, yeah. And for those listening, I said at the top when I introduced John, you know, not only does he have all of this experience leading organizations, but now spends a great deal of time and effort thinking about and addressing team effectiveness issues. And and that's sort of one of the ways, I, a way I came to know John. But when I summarize in a few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about the impact on the team and how to the, some of the ideas that John has offered here in terms of how to address when people are not meeting expectations and when they are presenting challenges, uh, not only in terms of their personal results, but in terms of how the team functions. So John, before I do that in a few minutes, we've only got a couple of minutes. Time flies, right? When we're, when we're having fun. I'm going to ask you purposely a very broad, open and vague question in the hopes that I'm going to capture one more nugget, one more gem from your experience here. And it is, what else, John? What else do you think we need to know about leading sales teams? Give us anything else that you've thought of that we haven't gotten a chance to, to speak about yet today. What's your million dollar, that's your million dollar coaching question. What else? I love that, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, I think if you look at, if I zoom out and I look at it from a organizational perspective, so if I put, you know, my senior leader hat on and see, you know, sales teams can be viewed by the rest of the organization, getting a lot of the benefits. They get to travel, they get to go to nice places, they have expense accounts. Do they work on Friday afternoons? I'm not really sure, but, uh, you know. I have to work in finance on Friday afternoons. So, so I think what, you know, what do I take away from that? I think what I take away from that is if you're sales, if you're in that commercial piece, you need to work a little harder on some of those internal relationships sometime and, and be clear that it's not just, uh, that, that sales isn't just a party all the time. 
and that there's, you know, there's plenty going, <laughs> there's plenty of work that's going on. Although, you know, it might be squeezed into, you know, four 12 and a half hour days or whatever, four and a half. But uh, yeah, so I think that, you know, that's maybe the, the what else for me is that sales can be viewed as, you know, as having an easy life sometimes by some of the other areas in the organization who don't get out. And I think it's useful if salespeople just have that in mind sometimes when they're, you know, when they're emailing and they're looking for their customer service person to respond within two seconds on whatever it might be, or their warehouse person or logistics or whoever or finance or whoever it is, just um, bear in mind where that's coming from. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing you said is really key here that, that and I'll paraphrase, right? it's we have to invest in relationships with our teammates. And it's not only to dispel any misperception they may have about our work, but it's critical to our success. We don't have strong relationships internally. Think about how much harder the job is, right? Kind of, you know, getting back to one of the challenges you talked about earlier. So and I think that's a great what else answer. So I'm going to peel off here in a moment and summarize some of the things you've shared with the team, kind of put a challenge to those listening on like, how can you apply some of the things we've just talked about? But before I go there, John, I want to say thank you for the time. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate your insight and all the different things you've seen uh, in your various roles. So on behalf of everyone listening, John, thank you very much for joining the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Matt, thanks a lot. We laughed a little bit, so I'm, I'm glad you had comedy in the title. All right. Well, thanks, John. Now I'm going to summarize. There was so much that John shared, and he's got a really unique perspective, not only that of a sales leader, but an executive leader, a CEO and president, and, and sort of really understands how sales organizations are perceived by other functions. And so there are a few things that he said that I think are really critically important that I want to uh, repeat here. And I want you to think about how does this apply to me specifically with my team? At the beginning of the conversation, John pointed out, obviously, success is really easy to define in a sales organization. We've got targets. We know if we've hit them and when we haven't. But there's a whole set of other things that we should be measuring that will give us a clear indication of whether we are effective in building a sales organization, more than just the results. What else should we measure? He said a few things. How well do we support each other in this organization? Is connection and collaboration happening? As you listen to those things, you may think, boy, that's really soft. But he went a little further and I asked him to tell us more about what he meant. He said, how well do we go about welcoming new people? Do our top performers share insights with others regarding what's working? And are people making sure that they've got really strong connections? You know, as we talked about that, John also talked about the role of the leader and that he or she is responsible for making sure that they nurture connections within their teams. Think about that. Do you actively, regularly nurture connections within your teams, or do you just sort of hope that that connection comes about organically? The best leaders don't sort of keep their fingers crossed and hope that relationships build. They create an environment and even create scenarios in which the team has to come together and share and collaborate and help one another. John also talked about the importance of building strong relationships internally, meaning with other functions. Uh, ours, the sales function is badly misunderstood by many people that support us. 
And we miss an opportunity if we don't help them understand the challenges that we face, just how difficult the job is. Because it can look you know, glamorous, to John's point, we get to travel and do fun things and go to, go to nice places. But if we don't help people to understand just how challenging this job is, then we're missing an opportunity. And our relationships with people internally can be hurt. We talked a little bit also about what to do about that star who behaves badly. I revealed that I've experienced that myself. Very difficult. One of the things that I think you can take away is you've got to be clear, crystal clear with your expectations, even with your star performers, so that they understand what good behavior looks like and what bad behavior looks like. Because otherwise, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to have that conversation with the star who needs to change her or his behavior. I can tell you from firsthand experience, those are incredibly uncomfortable and difficult conversations to have. But you've got somebody who's blowing out their number, but whose behavior does not line up with your expectations. If you haven't clarified those expectations in the first place, you've handcuffed yourself. You cannot deal with that star who behaves badly. Boy, as you were listening, I hope you were taking notes. Uh, so much wisdom uh, from John's experiences working around the globe as a leader of sales organizations and as a, uh, a C-level executive. Uh, so again, thanks to John for joining us. And in our next episode, I will interview another rock star sales leader. You're going to be knocked out by this next guest. Until then, this is Matt McDarby, author and host of The Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye for now.